Hello, this is Derek Ray, and you're listening to Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bavarian Podcast Works here today for a flagship episode of the show. I know it's been a long time. It's been a hot minute, however you want to say it, since I've been on. This is Tom Adams here making a return to the podcast. I'm very, very happy to do so. And we've got something a little bit different today because I'm actually joined by someone that I've actually personally never been on the podcast with. Uh, he recently has made his podcast debut, which is very exciting. Because as you know, here at Bavarian Podcast Works and Bavarian Football Works, we like to have a lot of different voices, a lot of different opinions, so that we can get different looks, hear different takes on certain things. So it's awesome. And I'm very pleased to say that I am joined today by uh, Ryan. And I apologize if I did not get the name right, because I was checking to make sure if I got it right before. But Ryan, how are you doing today? I know that you just had a tournament a little bit earlier because we have uh, about a nine-hour time difference with where we uh, are on, on the globe, respectively. Yeah, it was a pretty normal Sunday, I think. But um, I'm more excited about what we're going to talk about later today than anything that's happened earlier today. Yeah, and I know we were both just saying, too, we've got, like, bum ankles because I myself yeah. played a few nights ago and yesterday at the time of recording, and it just seemed like everybody wanted to get a piece of my ankle instead of a piece of the ball, whether that's, uh, you know patting myself on the back and how quickly I'm releasing the ball with distribution or dribbling past people, or if that's just uh, an indictment on, on people not defending well uh, yesterday, yesterday and on Thursday. But nonetheless, we do have quite a bit to talk about. I know that the last couple of episodes were sort of more focused on the German national team during the international break that we had, and it did not go too well. Does not bode well for Hansi Flick, who now has... Um, pretty much a very negative record from the last handful of matches that Germany has been play playing in, albeit mostly friendlies because obviously Germany is hosting the Euros next summer. But we're not here to talk about that. We don't want to uh, continue playing the world's smallest violin, so to speak. Um, we are here to take to excuse me today to talk about the transfer market because we really haven't had a full flagship show since we've made officially two signings. And, of course, I'm speaking of Conrad Leimer as a free agent from Arbe Leipzig and then Rafael Guerrero from Borussia Dortmund as a free agent. And I know that a lot of Bayern fans, we did our due diligence on social media, we could tell that most of the Conrad Leimer press release photos were taken in the winter when both Oliver Kahn and Hassan Salihamidzic were still employed by the club. It's just that it was made official just a few weeks back, and Rafael Guerrero at the time of recording, I believe it was just two or three days ago that it was made official. Um, Friday, I believe it was. So, Ryan, I just wanted to get your kind of immediate reaction. I know by all intents and purposes, Bayern Munich is not done in the transfer market. Uh, we still have to anticipate some departures, which we'll get into a little bit later in the show, and there's other big names that have been linked with potential moves to us, but I just want to get your quick thoughts. So, of those two uh, signings, is there one that you're a little bit more excited for, uh, equally as excited for both? 
Um, and then how how do you see them doing? Do you think both of these guys are going to slot right into Thomas Tuchel's lineup, or do you think it's going to be a case of them getting worked in and um, having to wait for a lot of their opportunities and most of their minutes to come? I think Conrad Limers is exciting. That's uh, very exciting because he's the kind of player that you know any squad in the world would love to have. He's very versatile. He's not opposed to sitting on the bench a few weeks. And over everything else, he's so hardworking in training. And we see it on the pitch too because he's in the very top percentile for tackles and blocks. He is way up there. He always tries to win the ball back. He may not be the best reader of play in the middle. We have players like Kimmich and, you know, in the world, we have players like Rice who are way better readers of the ball. But Limer works. He runs all the time. He's one of those players that you really want. And he's very versatile. We can play a right wing back too, which is crucial to our team, especially since we are lacking profiles. Now, since you are still talking about Limer real quick, I just want to interject. So, because I want to get your take on this. Bayern fan Twitter and social media seems to be very relentlessly against this sentiment. But do you see him ever being able to play as uh, a number six holding defensive midfielder? Because it's become abundantly clear that since Declan Rice has fell through and he's wound up either choosing Arsenal or Manchester City, that Thomas Tuchel has kind of abandoned uh, the search for a number six defensive midfielder. thing with Conrad Leimer is, um, while I do see him having the mental fortitude to play as a number six and not break position, his strengths lie mainly in the fact that he can keep going for a full 90 and keep pressing and harassing tired players. So I don't think he'd be well used as a number six, but I think he could definitely do a job. But he's not the kind of player you should put your hopes on. Would you say uh, it's most likely that Kimmich would just continue in that role? I think we'd see something more similar to the Zabitzer-Kimmich pivot that we saw towards the start of this season, where the two would sort of swap roles mid-play. And I've even seen some suggestions by a few people earlier today. I had sent out a tweet uh, basically imploring that the club doesn't get too distracted and you know focused on... I know we didn't want to jump too far ahead here, but obviously most Bayern fans know by this point we're very close to signing Napoli's uh, Kim Min-jae, uh, South Korean international, because we are prepping for Luca Hernandez leaving for PSG. He's made it very clear that he wants to go there, and also Benjamin Favard could be on his way out. So now there's kind of these two uh, spots to, to fill. Yes, we already have Min-jae on the way in uh, to replace Hernandez, but there's still that uh, that right-back slot so I've actually seen a few people reply and say that uh, Rafael Guerrero, in addition to playing left back, left wing back, could also even uh, be strategically and tactically used uh, in the midfield, which is something that Tuchel uh, definitely knows well, given his time as uh, as Dortmund manager and his time as Mainz manager. He really knows a lot about Rafael Guerrero um, from his time in the Bundesliga with both of those clubs. So do you personally see uh, Guerrero getting a lot of time in the midfield in a more centralized role than the left wing back or left back? Or do you think that's uh, just a little bit too much uh, wishful thinking in that sense tactically? I think Guerrero did have possibly the best six months of his career just now playing in the middle for Dortmund in that 4-1-4-1. But I don't see him getting a lot of time there as much as I wish he did because he is far better than Gretzka for a midfield two or even a midfield three. I think the signing was mainly so that we have cover at left-back and the all-important need of a left-footed player who isn't just in the final third because at the moment, Bayern are severely lacking in that profile, especially since Luca Hernandez will be going. 
And to harp on your comments on Kim Inge, I still think that might be one of the best signings in the club's history because Kim Inge is a ridiculous defender. He is up there with Dilek for the best centre-backs in the world. And to get him for $47 million is it's a bargain. Yeah, and I, I thought that even his release clause with Napoli was a bit more expensive than that. And obviously, unless you've been living under rock, you'll know that they won their first uh, Scudetto, and I believe it was 33 years. Um, uh, they had, had, yeah, they had not won it since they had uh, one of the last seasons Diego uh, Maradona was with the club. and So it's been a long time coming. They've come close a couple times a few seasons back uh, when uh, Maurizio Sarri was their, their manager before he went to Chelsea in the Premier League. I had a tenure that didn't really quite work out, had him chewing cigarettes quite a bit because you can't smoke on the sidelines in England like you can in Italy. But uh, Luciano Spalletti, like what he did with that Napoli side was just truly incredible. And I don't know about you, Ryan, but I was very happy to see them win uh, the title. And there's just so many interesting players in that squad. And uh, in addition, you know, Victor Osman, uh, Di Lorenzo, uh, Diego Dema, for, uh, previously of RB Leipzig in the uh, the Bundesliga, Kim and Jay, definitely one of their their standouts in that back line. And just as you mentioned, just to echo that sentiment, a fantastic signing for what I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was just slightly less than uh, the release clause that was built in. Or it might have even been slightly more, but re- regardless of that semantic, I agree with you. Because 47 million euro today for a player of that caliber is really cheap. You know, if we rewind the clock a couple of years, that might not be the case as far as that rate being cheap but today for a player of that caliber for you know especially coming from a team that just won the title and they had a very very exciting Champions League run too to be honest with you I'm quite surprised that they didn't get past uh Napoli in the uh, the semifinals I really wished they had kind of been uh that other team in the uh, the Champions League final I'm a huge fan of uh uh Cavada I don't know can you say his last name? Kvaratskhelia, yeah. Uh, wow, that was actually really impressive. How do you say it fast? Kvaratskhelia. Yes, the, the Georgian international. Yeah. I He's always fine. have to like, because uh, when I go to type it, um, as I'm huge into collecting football kits and I've I've nabbed a uh, one of his kits, I have to like just kind of sound it out in my head <laughs> to, to be able to type it, to search for it. Yeah. But case in point with how exciting that Napoli team has been, He's if you type Kavara, like his name comes up because, you know, on Google, he's one of probably the most searched for things with that combination of letters. But yeah, just I'm very excited about Kim and Jay. I know we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. We haven't completed the signing, but it's become very clear that he very much wants to join Bayern. Most of the personal terms are agreed and basically uh, just dotting T dotting I's and crossing T's at this point with uh, getting him. No, go ahead. I think systemically one of the, crucial things about Kim Inge is that not just the fact that he's a quality defender, but that he has defensive qualities that complement the backline a lot. Because one of the defects that we have with Delit and Gumecano as a back-to pairing was that both of them are very forward-thinking defenders. They always look to step up out of the line to win the ball. They actively seek challenges and tackles. But Kim Inge is very much the opposite. If you look at just his raw numbers, they are very low. He rarely makes tackles. He rarely makes interceptions. But what he does is he positions himself and he commands a back line. He's a very rare defender in the modern game. He's not one who sticks a leg in every time. And I think that paired with Dilik's pragmatic approach to defending, it's going to be a deadly pairing. And so I know before we had kind of come on to uh, record this podcast, you had kind of brought up a good point. And I think 
the way that this discussion is shaping, it's it's very good to just pretty much go from back um, towards the front of the pitch in terms of the transfer window, transfer prospects, the business we've already done, the business we're about to do, um, and then just the players that we're loosely linked with. You know, because Tuchel had made it clear going into the window, he wanted a defensive midfielder and a striker. Obviously, the former has changed now with the the Declan Rice news that he's going to stay in the Premier League, preferably in London to join Arsenal. So our plans have changed quite a bit. And obviously, Luca Hernandez saying he wants to go to PSG and Benjamin Pavard saying he wants out the door. So you actually posed a, a very good point earlier on our Slack channel because you kind of brought up, what does this actually do to the look of our back line with Tuchel? Because we know with Nagelsmann and with Tuchel, both of them, whether at Bayern or previously in their careers, have found successes with the back three system. And now we almost have a this interesting plethora of players that are either center backs or like wing backs, right? We have Alfonso Davies in the squad, Rafael Guerrero, Nusar Masrawi, who can play as a wing back, and hopefully we get him fully fit. I, I personally believe he never really was able to hit his full stride after coming back from the pericarditis after the World Cup in Qatar with Morocco. But I think... We saw in a few of the group stage matches in the Champions League, you know, his quality, especially when he had to come on for Pavard against uh, Barcelona, I believe it was. I think that was one of his best performances of the season personally. But do you see this as with the personnel that we now have? So let's say we get rid of Hernandez, bring in Kim and Jay, but then Pavard leaves and we don't necessarily bring in a direct right back. Do you think this is more potential and susceptibility for Tuchel to use a back three more since we now kind of have this mixture of bonafide center backs and uh, wing backs that are very forward thinking, or do you think it's still going to be a very solid back four? And I know that if I need no name is listening to this, he's going to get very sick with this part because he's had enough of the back three, but I want to hear your thoughts on that because you did bring up that interesting point earlier. Uh, I think we're definitely leaning towards a back three, especially because of two very important points. Number one. Yeah. As you mentioned, Ever since the Declan Rice signing fell through, it just doesn't seem like Bayern are in for a defensive midfielder. And on top of that, the fact that we're looking to sign Pau Torres and that that deal is completely independent of the Kim In Jay deal, it very much seems like we're looking at a back three. But there is um, the rumor recently that's come out that we're offering Kyle Walker a chance to play for us. And that Kyle Walker is not exactly a, a right wing back nowadays. He doesn't have that kind of offensive output. But I could see him as a third centre-back. We've seen it at times with Pep Guardiola where Walker plays as a third centre-back. We saw him invert too, but the inversion just didn't work. Yeah. Um, but it just, yeah, it seems very much like we're gearing for a back three. And if we are gearing for a back three, I think the Limer chemic pivot would work far better. And I don't want to put on my uh, hashtag English Tom hat too much, but we've definitely seen this with Gareth Southgate in the English national team. And I think... Um, you could definitely point towards like John Stone's role too, because it seems towards the end of the season, he just had this tactical setup where he was just stepping right up into the midfield, even though he was starting as a center back. And, you know, given the time that Kyle Walker has spent under uh, Guardiola at city, he could definitely possess that ability too, just as you were uh, alluding to. Well, I I don't think Kyle Walker has the same kind of ball ability as John Stone's. I still could see someone like Delict offering that role because Delict is very gifted on the ball. He's a, I mean, he's an Ajax player, which other players aren't gifted on the ball. I could see Delict as a libero through the middle and then Kim and Walker sort of hang back to make it a 2-1-4-2-1. But 
Um, that paired with, you know, Guerrero and let's say Mazrawi out wide. It could even be Limer out wide because Limer is a very fast player. I don't think people realize just how quick Limer is. He is Alfonso Davies levels of quick. He could definitely do damage out wide. Maybe we should add to a phenomenal performance in that 3-1 win over Bayern that we all thought pretty much put the nail in the coffin for our uh, Meisterschale. But, you know, Dortmund did a very Dortmund move and kind of... Uh, Missed the opportunity when it was there for the taking, and we wound up winning. But yeah, I thought he was fantastic um, in that uh, in that performance, and likewise uh, in the. Did he actually play in the winter? The one one, I think he did. Yes, he did. He did. He did. And it's always ironic that uh, you know, I think to him, uh, Jan Sommer, like these players, just have uh, career performances when they play against us before they actually join us. Yeah, but I so, think. Oh, go ahead. I think we have to look at the creativity side of it too. Uh, Limer is very underrated on the ball. I've seen this a lot of the time, especially on Twitter, where people think of Limer as just, um, you know, a dog chasing cars. Uh, as who was a Heath Ledger put it, I think 15 years ago now, he's a dog chasing cars and he wouldn't know what to do if he actually got one. But Limer is good on the ball. We've seen it time and time again, especially against Bayern. He just happens to score every time. That's not... It's not luck that he's scoring against us. He's very gifted on the ball. That long shot last season comes to mind in the 5-2 win, I believe it was in the league. It was against Neuer too. Uh, I think it was from about 30 yards out. He's got some very good dribbling on him and he's got a good shot. He's very underrated. But speaking of underrated, Rafael Guerrero is in the top five for assists in the top five leagues this season. And that's despite having played as a left-back and not very well as a left-back during the first half of the season. He picked up 12 assists in the last six months for a total of 14 assists. He's very creative on the ball. And I think that could become a center of our play. While I think Davies is very quick on the left, I do think Guerrero's pure creativity will allow him to be the same kind of fulcrum for us. I would have to agree with you, and I'm actually very excited to see how that's going to work. I'm I'm more interested to see just tactically how it would work like on our on our best days and what I mean by that is when we want uh, and when Tuchel wants and needs his strongest possible 11 to get out there so assuming everybody's fit Ryan I'd like to kind of hear because I have my thoughts um that I'd kind of like to hear so let's not really count the DFL Super Cup but week one uh, in the Bundesliga which we would obviously be um, the maiden match for as the holding champions, what would you see Tuchel? So let's say, let's assume that uh, Minjay is ours uh, by the time that happens, which we can safely assume, um, but we don't necessarily get a right back replacement for um, Pavard if he winds up leaving. And for the sake of the argument, since we're going to move further up the pitch uh, a little bit later in the episode, let's just assume that we don't sign uh, a striker, obviously, we hope that that does happen uh, with how uh, our, our plans have gone and some of the names we've been linked with. But I, I guess even you could even leave the, the, the striker out of it if you want to or, or just back to front. Uh, so assuming Neuer is fit, what would you say a week one in the Bundesliga Tuchel would, would turn to for um, you know the back line in the midfield and the attacking players? I think Ducal will still stick to the back four for a couple more weeks because it's going to take time for the players to acclimatize to a back three system. We could see uh, maybe a hybrid system. Um, I would safely assume that Neuer is in goal, uh, Minjay and Dilit as centre-backs. I, I, I guess I'll pose this to you what I, in my mind. Do you, well, I mean, 
where does Guerrero fit uh, against Alfonso Davies? Because this is a very good question because Davies did not have his best campaign uh, last season whatsoever. So where do you see that that battle kind of stacking up? Are you still sticking with Davies as the bonafide starter there? They're very different kinds of players. And I do think that, especially with comments that Davies has made in recent weeks, that maybe he might be shifting away from the left-back position. If he is, that combined with there being a proper striker might actually mean that Davies plays further up the field and we see Guerrero behind him as a more pure, creative player. Maybe we could see some sort of role swapping, uh, but I don't see Tuchel being that, um, what's the word, uh, unconventional with his tactics. Interesting. So you would say back four, uh, Davies, Delict, uh, Minjay, Masrawi? I would say Guerrero, Masrawi. Oh, wow. Okay. I would see. I would say that back four, uh, a Kimmich and Goretzka pivot because Goretzka is still getting games. I think Limer will be slowly pulled into the squad, sort of like Delict was. Yeah. Although I do think Limer's fitness levels are up there to compete. I'd say that we'd have a creative three of Koma uh, on the right, Davies on the left, and then Muller through the middle, and then let's say Harry Kane up front. I don't. It depends on who we get to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a pipe dream. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, there's a reason why, why you know, you thought of it. It's not as if it's out of thin air. There have been links, and I know that we've had off and on rumors with him for the better part of, like, the past, you know, what seems like maybe 15 to 16 months. But, you know, there have been talks between his representatives and Bayern. You know, that's not uh, completely farcical, even though it might sound that way, because how often do you get a Premier League superstar coming to the the Bundesliga? It's not a very common switch that takes place in in Europe in the transfer market, especially with the financial gaps that are uh, that exist between the, the Bundesliga, the Premier League. And then some of the financial elites, you know, your Real Madrid's, your PSG's, um, even Barcelona's, if you want to consider that, even though they're basically in quasi debt, uh, you know, of the world. So I guess with that said, Ryan, we can kind of move up the pitch because we've gone over the, the back line, which is a lot of what this transfer window has turned out being focused on because of the movements that we've had. Um, after signing Conrad Limer. And, and let's be honest, I think it became evidently clear that even back in the winter, we, go, we were going to be signing him as a free agent. Um, it's just only become official uh, in the summer. <laughs> like you, like I said, you could tell all of those press release photos were taken uh, in the winter, and uh, Sally Hamadich and Con were both just kind of cropped out, awkwardly enough, but that was the right thing to do with the club. Um, so we've known him in the midfield, but looking ahead, it still stands. Even though we no longer are in the mix for a number six midfielder, we still are very much in the mix for a striker. And that was one of Tuchel's points of emphasis for this transfer window. And there's a bevy of names that we've been linked with. Dusan Vlalovic, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Victor Osaman from uh, SSC Napoli, Randall Kolomowani from Eintracht Frankfurt, and as you just mentioned, Harry Kane from Tottenham. So a lot of moving parts here. Um, and the like the piece I had written today was very interesting. Jan Christian Driesen was talking to Build about how they're they're meeting, not taking any time off. Him and Tuchel in concert with Karl Heinz Rummenigge, who obviously we know is back on the supervisory board, um, having these meetings with this new makeshift front office that no longer contains Oliver Khan and Hassan Salihamidzic meticulously planning 
our uh, you know our transfer business, but we have all of these links, all of these strikers I've just mentioned. I know that you probably have your, your preference as to who you would pick, but he made kind of this comment or this remark about he kind of likes having these big names linked with us. First, because it's obviously a privilege that these names are being linked with us and, and Bayern as a club, but it almost to the point that he he kind of seemed to me like he was saying it distracts from you know what's being discussed internally. And I know that you know, as a, as a Bayern fan, there's been plenty of times when these just complete curveballs happen and they seem to come out of left field and we're very fixated on just a few players and there's these huge sagas back and forth, back and forth, and then bam, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we sign a player that none of us were even thinking of, and the business just gets done very quietly and very quick, and then all of a sudden, they're having their press release photos. But with this, I mean, I'll I'll kind of ask it in two questions. I think you've kind of already mentioned that you would love to see Harry Kane, but I would say preference and then realism. So uh, with, with that being said, do you think that Byron could actually realistically pull off Harry Kane, or do you think one of the other targets is far more realistic at this point? I think financially, Harry Kane's not going to be a problem. We've seen it multiple times, multiple reports from multiple sources that Byron are willing to spend north of 100 million euros on a striker, and I think Kane will be in that price range. I think the main obstacle right now is the fact that Tuchel wants to plan with two strikers. We've seen reports in the last 48, 72 hours that Kane wants to sign both, uh, that Tuchel wants to sign both Kane and Kolomwani. And while I do think Kolomwani should be part of the squad independent of Kane, it's not because he's also a striker. Kolomwani is a winger more than he is a striker. Realistically, I would say we go for someone like Andy Delors and cut our losses for next season because I don't see us being able to spend elsewhere if we don't get Kane and we try and spend 100 million on Colo money, it just doesn't seem like the right place to put our money. So you would say with that kind of money, it has to be Kane and someone else or bust or just Kane or bust. I would say Kane and bust because I don't see a spending 200 million. I realistically, I don't see a spending 200 million on Colo money and Kane in addition to Kim and Jay for another 50 million and try and find a right back like Kyle Walker. Yeah. And I mean, cause it's, I remember all these stories of even before all of the uh, those quick announcements had come out about Khan and Brazo being being sacked that the supervisory board for the first time pretty much ever in Bayern's history was going to green light a transfer upwards of 100 million euros, knowing how badly the club needed a striker. I think personally it was a mistake. Obviously, I'm a huge Sadio Mane fan, but let's be real after he tried to after he came back from his uh, knee injury after the World Cup which he missed out on with Senegal, he never really seemed to get back to himself. And I know that other players were in form that both Nagelsmann before he left or before he uh, got fired rather and Tuchel were using, but Sadio Mane just looked a shade of himself from the player that, you know, finished so strongly with Liverpool last season, nearly completed the quadruple and then started off the season. So, well, I think it was like five goals from his first seven or eight matches, something like that. Um, I think it was a big mistake to not uh, sign a striker having Robert Lewandowski leave for, for Barcelona, especially with all of the signs most of the summer uh, last year pointing to him uh, being on the way out. And I know it's, it's, it's easy to sit here and say that hindsight's always twenty twenty. the right opportunity might not have presented itself. 
But I think this season we're very lucky to get across the line in, in the Bundesliga because let's be real, when a guy can guarantee you, you know, 30 goals, 40 goals across all competitions every season, it's it's a little bit ridiculous to not replace him. Uh, so it is absolutely vital that we do get someone, but it's just such a, these are just tough waters to navigate through as a Bayern fan, because we're just not used to actually being in the mix for these players that are that expensive because our board for so long has been against spending that much, in particular uh, Uli Honus and, and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, who are both now very much in the mix of calling the shots. As we've learned a couple months ago, Uli Honus still has a lot of pull, even though he's just essentially on the supervisory board and the honorary president and had said when he was stepping down that he was going to take more of a reserved role. But yeah, <laughs> you don't necessarily let go of a club that's been a part of your life for as long as it's been a part of his life uh, very quickly. So as I mentioned, it's just a very difficult uh, uncharted territory, really. You know, we're not Man City or PSG fans over here <laughs> to trying to, uh, you know, tell the club to go all out and spend 150 million euros on someone like it's no big deal. So it will be very interesting to see if we are actually able to uh, to get pull Kane off. But just uh, before we kind of uh, take a brief break here, I want to get your uh, a percentage number here. So I would just just to do a little bit of odds, because I think it would be fun to listen to this back at the end of the transfer window. So what percentage of uh, chance, 0 to 100, do you give Bayern Munich to sign Harry Kane before the transfer window closes? 35. 35, so a little bit more pessimistic of a stance. Yeah, I was, it doesn't, I, doesn't oh, go ahead. Likely, it really doesn't seem likely. But... Can you... I want to, I like, I love doing, uh, like footballing quizzes, um, a little bit better with Premier League history myself than I am with Bundesliga history. But can you remember, uh, a player of at least a certain magnitude going from the Premier League to the Bundesliga? Like, other than Owen Hargraves, I can't remember. Sadio Mane. Um, oh my God. Okay. Okay. Sane three years ago. Uh, well, okay. So you, you basically just made me look like an idiot. Cause like <laughs> people know I'm a Liverpool fan, but like, I guess, I guess he doesn't pop to mind because I think I was very, like, as I just mentioned, uh, used to what he does at Liverpool and then seeing what he did at Bayern was like, you know, unfortunately, it was two different bit, players, honestly. yeah, like just very underwhelmed. Um, and I don't know what a lot of Bayern fans would say about Hargraves tenure, um, at Bayern, but. Other than that, like, and Leroy Zane too was just like this saga that seemed to last forever. Yeah. So at, at like he was so, meant to come last the year before he joined, wasn't it? Yeah, and then he had that knee injury. Uh, ironically enough, against Liverpool in the the Charity Shield, which is um, basically the English equivalent of the uh, AFL Super Cup, uh, and because of the length of that saga, it just and you know depending on who you ask, either underwhelmed or just well below par as far as his tenure at Bayern Munich thus far. Um, I guess the, a better question would have would have been a prominent player who didn't drop off in form, I guess is a better question. I mean, you could argue for Sadio Mane. He did have an excellent six months in that central role, but yeah, I do see what you mean. He wasn't exactly the Sadio Mane of 2018 or 2019. And by no means did we spend 100 million euros on him. Yeah, 
I know I know the, the the transfer market and prices are relative, but other than like I guess there's just like three names we mentioned, but other than that, you really can't yeah. pick out. You know, it's like no one really comes and like sets the world afire. You could maybe say Jude Bellingham, but he was in the second division. He was in the championship. Yeah, uh, Birmingham City. It's interesting. That was, that was a very expensive signing for Dortmund. That was 30 million euros. That's not exactly cheap change for them. Yeah, and as we talked about, we, I mentioned earlier the uh, the financial gap that exists between the uh, the Bundesliga and then some of the footballing elites, namely in the Premier League and a few clubs in La Liga and obviously PSG. You know, a lot of these uh, these clubs that are owned by these foreign moguls that just don't seem to run out of money and don't seem to ever get punished for breaching financial fair play rules or uh, get punished by the means in which they account for their expenditure, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But we can have an argument about that till we're blue in the face. And, you know, that's never going to change. But since we still have a little bit of time left, Ryan, I thought we could take a quick break and then. I actually wanted to ask just a little bit about the uh, the goalkeeping situation too, just because of the links that uh, Tony Topalovic is uh, rumored to be coming back to the club. And I want to get your opinion on how that might uh, shake things up just a little bit. Um, so we'll go ahead and take a quick break and then dive right into that. All right. So I know I said we were kind of going to work from back to front, uh, but I think with all the conversations and how it's kind of unfolded, we're kind of going to do uh, another direction change. So we went back to front and now back to the back. And yes, I mean the goalkeeping situation just because there have been recent reports that, well, I should say two separate things. So first, Ryan, will bring up the fact that the former goalkeeping coach, Tony Topalovic, it's very likely that he's actually going to wind up coming back to the club. And we know that there was uh, some history with him going on there. Because for a lot of reasons, you know, one of which uh, his favoritism towards Manuel Neuer, this is something that Alexander Nubel uh, did not like, in addition to the fact that he was not able to get uh, as many matches or as many mi- minutes as was contractually agreed upon when he wound up joining Bayern from uh, Schalke Nalfia uh, a few seasons back, even after he w- or and then after that, he kind of had like a poor run of form. Uh, with, with Schalke, and I think it was David Wagner, the manager at the time, wound up uh, benching him uh, for Schubert, I believe it was. If I'm uh, remembering correctly, you could correct me if I'm wrong there. But for a lot of reasons, you remember midway through the season, he was just sacked. Uh, Manuel Neuer went on this big, or I should say wrote this lengthy message uh, on social media, you know, wishing him all the best and saying that he was very shocked by the club's decision. Um, but there's a lot of moving parts here, Ryan, and in addition to these reports coming out, now that Manuel Neuer is fit, now that Hassan Salihamidzic, Julian Nagelsmann, and Oliver Kahn are all gone, who are all a part of the decision to sack Topalovic, he's coming back. And then in addition to this, we have uh, links saying that uh, Jan Sommer and Alexander Nubel could be on their way out, which would just leave Sven Ulreich, whose contract with Bayern expires next summer as the only other keeper if those uh, former two were to leave. Uh, I believe uh, Zammer has been linked with uh, VfB Stuttgart most recently, uh, as has Alexander Nubel, though Sky Sports' Florian Plettenberg has said that uh, Nubel is pushing for a move to the Premier League in England. That's what his preference is, uh, you know, after his uh, two-year loan spell at AS Monaco. 
that he and his agent had really pushed for so that he could get out of Bayern and get some ample playing time. So it seems like there's always a bit of like a merry-go-round in the goalkeeper's position at FC Hollywood, AKA Bayern Munich. But Ryan, like what, what do you, how do you see this? I mean, is this uh I mean, think of it from Zomer's standpoint, he comes in, Nagelsmann signs him. He trains for a few days to is sacked. He has to get used to, uh, a different goalkeeping coach, and apparently the the, the guy that they brought in, uh, Reckner, uh, or Reichner, I believe his name is, is still going to stay on with Topalovic. And now all of a sudden, uh, he had said in the past, Zomer, that he'd be fine staying with Bayern and fighting for that number one spot with, with Neuer. But now that's become abundantly clear, Neuer is on track to be ready for the preseason. Zomer is kind of open to a, a move away, and... Nubel, especially with his history of not liking Topalovic's favoritism towards Neuer, why would he stay? So he's more than likely about to accept a move to go elsewhere if he can find the right, right opportunity. So I guess I'll pose this question to you. What are your thoughts on all of this? And then do you think it now becomes a necessity for Bayern to stay very open in the transfer market for a potential replacement keeper, given Neuer's injury history? Uh, is Sven Ulreich ample enough if we want to push across all three fronts? Uh, I have to look at this from the perspective of the board first and, you know, managing the club itself, which is that we can't really let um, people like Tepalovic and Neuer. I mean, it's one thing to form a bond, right? It's very good that, you know, a coach and a player have a very close bond. But when it starts to get in the way of signing other players, that immediately makes that bond a little toxic and bad for the club as a whole. I think Tepalovic and Neuer's um, favoritism towards each other should be a point of contention and that we can't let things like that happen. But at the same time, it is a key player for us. Neuer needs to be kept happy. But sacrificing the careers of Nubel and Sommer for this, it just doesn't seem like the right kind of trade. I do think that Sommer will leave in the summer, especially because Gregor Kobel is pushing him to the brink in terms of getting a number one spot for Switzerland. I do think Kobel is the better keeper right now. And I think Zomer, if he wants to change that, he has to move away to a place where he will get consistent minutes. And I just don't see Neuer being pushed out of the number one spot. Like, even if Zomer does outperform him, Neuer is better at build-up and he's already favored by Thomas Tuchel. Tuchel has said multiple times that he's planning with Neuer as the number one for the forthcoming season. It just does not seem likely that Zomer will get the amount of minutes he wants. I think he should be both for himself and for the betterment of the club. But it's a different situation with Alexander Nubel, who I think could definitely get more minutes. I think January was the perfect time to recall him and see if he can do the right kinds of things for Bayern. I still think he has many defects, especially in possession. He's not very good at build-up. He's definitely not even Zomer level in build-up, let alone being as good as Neuer. But maybe he could have been our number one in the future. So do you think there's absolutely zero chance he stays a Bayern Munich player this summer and you think he'll be offloaded somewhere? Yeah, so the Alexander Nubel situation is, it's a very interesting one. I do think Nubel had the potential to go ahead and be our future number one. Obviously, he's not as gifted on the ball or in possession as someone like Neuer, but I don't think any goalkeeper in the history of football has been as uh, gifted on the ball as Neuer. I think Nubel's still got some work to do. He's got a few defects in his play, but I do still think that he could have had a future. But I think it's best for him to if he leaves the club permanently. And the interest from the Premier League should be something that he could look to capitalize on. He could do very well for a mid-table or even higher Premier League club. So 
basically to round it out, I think you kind of share the uh, the agreement or have shared the sentiment that I do. You think pretty much for this season, even with Topalovich coming back uh, to the club, you think it's pretty much just going to be uh, Neuer as the bonafide number one, and you believe you feel that Zomer will stay and pretty much be the number two, and then Ulreich, um, I, I guess. I don't know. Do you see Ulreich being offloaded and potentially looking for a loan or a permanent deal somewhere else, or do you think he will stay at Bayern and even wind up being, I guess, uh, by, by effect, the number three goalkeeper? Uh, for Bayern. Would anyone buy Sven Ulreich? Uh, I mean, I guess that's a good question. He could go back out on loan to Hamburg Esval as they try to get into the, the Bundesliga again. It seems like they always fail or like screw up in the 11th hour, even when they're on the verge of automatic promotion. Oh, that was so fun. I, I felt so bad for Thiago watching that. And what was it? It was like something to do, like there was just a ridiculous amount of time added on in one of the other fixtures that wound up knocking yeah, him down minutes. a position. Yeah, minutes. just because of like VAR uh, reviews and a lot of stoppages in, in a match. But hey, I mean, just like uh, I think it was Manuel Veth had said on the Gegenpressen podcast after Bayern had clinched the, the Bundesliga title, a lot of people saying, oh, Bayern didn't deserve it. Dortmund deserved it this year. Like basically what he said. No, I'm, Bayern had more points at the end of 34 matches and thus were the champions, so they deserve to be champions. The same way with Hamburg Esval, you know, they did not have enough points for automatic promotion and then lost over aggregate over two legs to, to Stuttgart, so they don't deserve to be in the Bundesliga. But, you know, that's a separate conversation. Uh, it is kind of ironic how often they seem to kind of uh, fluff the chance when it's there for the taking for automatic promotion, but I'm sure there's some club out there that might be looking at at Sven Ulreich, but I also am pretty sure that he would accept that fate if he were to just be the number three behind Neuer and and Zomer, assuming Zomer still stays, which it sounds like both of us agree that that's probably going to take place. But who knows? There is a lot of time left in the in the transfer window, um, and I know that the goalkeeping situation isn't the priority. Um, but I thought it was interesting to talk about with Topalovich coming back, Neuer's injury history, and all of the uh, bureaucratic stuff and politics that went along with uh, Topalovich leaving the club. And most of the personnel who were responsible for making that decision are now gone. And Neuer is coming back and he's now going to be fully fit. But uh, Ryan, I think we've discussed a good amount today. I know that uh, we've only completed two transfers thus far, technically uh, in the summer window on the verge of, Kim Min Jae and more business is more than likely going to be done both inbound and outbound. But unless you had anything other to add or to just uh, shout out on the podcast, I think this is a good place to kind of bookmark and end and uh, wrap it up because we don't want to go on uh, too many tangents here or talk about too, too many things because as we know, there's always something to talk about even during silly season. But it was a pleasure to be joined by you for the first time. I know this is, I think, your second podcast. Is that right for us? Yeah, second. There you go. So I, I hope it was uh, as good for you as it was for me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And then, everyone, thank you for listening to this episode of the flagship edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever streaming platform you do use to listen to your podcast or download your podcast and then then listen to them subsequently. Be sure to check out BavarianFootballWorks.com, at BavarianFBWorks on Twitter for all of your latest Bayern 
and German national team news. And until next time, thank you very much. Auf Wiedersehen.